Why do you think God has placed you in the church age? Of all the times when you could have been born or where God could have placed you in history, why do you think you are in the age of history called the church age? Now, this is the age after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and before his second coming. So we're, we're in between the second coming of Christ and uh, we're after his death, burial, and resurrection. Why are you in the church age? Why has God placed you where he has in history? The prophets longed for this age. This was the age that they dreamt of. Jeremiah talked about, I will establish a new covenant. And it will not be like the old covenant. It will be a covenant where I actually put my spirit inside of my people. It was the prophet Joel who said, in these last days, I will pour out my spirit on all people. That didn't mean that everybody was going to be saved. It just meant everybody could be. Everybody could have the Spirit. In these last days, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. It was Jesus in John chapter 14 and John chapter 16 that talked about the Spirit was coming, the Spirit was coming, the disciples were clueless, but Jesus said in those two chapters, it is for your good that I'm going away, because if I go away, I will send the counselor, the advocate, I will send the Holy Spirit. And 50 days after Jesus died, was buried, and rose from the dead, 50 days after that incredible event, there was a church service on the day of Pentecost. And it was a church service like nobody could ever dream of, nobody could ever imagine. And the Holy Spirit came on all these different Jewish people from all these different nations, and it was a service that nobody would ever forget. Our story today... Our text today is 25 years after that event. It's 25 years later, and Paul is still trying to help the community of people in Rome to understand about life in the Spirit. Now, they're not Jews. If they were Jews, he would have had a little different conversation. The Jews understood what it meant to be like within the, the confines, the margins of God's will and God's scriptures. But these are pagans. These are Gentiles. These are Romans who are used to all kinds of gods and goddesses and polytheistic culture. And so he's trying to help them in Romans to understand life in the spirit and how life in the spirit works. Now, I think this is a little confusing. And so I want to break this down this morning and talk about your human spirit talk about your human soul, talk about your human body before we even get to the Holy Spirit. This gets rather confusing. A couple times Jesus mentions these three, and now because we're in Romans, I just want to talk about what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. It's the same author, same guy, and all I want you to get out of this verse is that you are made up of three components. That's all I want you to get. Talked about this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I hit the wrong button. There we go. Whoops. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body. That's all I want you to get. Say that with me. Spirit, soul, and body. A little more passionate. Spirit, soul, and body. That's who you are. 
Everybody gets this, most of it. We know that we're a body. Look to the person to your left and say, you have a body. Go, go. Look to the person to your right, you have a body. Don't tell somebody they have a great body, just say they have a body, okay? That's not the point of this exercise. You have a body, I'm so sorry, all right? That was your moment of opportunity and you missed it. The window just closed, all right? You have a body, everybody gets that, that you have a body. Everybody kinda understands the soul. The soul's your emotions. And sometimes the emotions are within the jar and sometimes the emotions get outside the jar, right? So we kind of understand our soul is our mind, our will, and our emotions. We're not quite as cognizant of the spirit, the human spirit. I'm not even talking about the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about your human spirit. So let's, let's start with the human spirit for just a second. Your human spirit is you. It's that immortal part of you. We talk about saving someone's souls. That's really not true. The soul and the body got to go away, but the spirit is immortal. And so what is the spirit of a person? How do you know who you really are? You turn off the radio, you turn off all social media, and you sit somewhere for an hour, for an hour and a half, and you just listen, and your spirit inside of you lets you know exactly who you are. In the quietness of the moment, you know who you are as an individual. Am I greedy? Am I generous? Am I self-centered or am I other-centered? You know who you are by the spirit within you. Now, which of these three is going to drive you? That's my point. So we know that if your body drives you, all you care about is looking good and how do I look better? And you know, there's nothing wrong with looking good. I have a friend of mine, he's an elder of a church in Indiana, and he says, if the barn needs paint, and he says, you paint it. So if you need makeup, whatever, you wear it, all right? <laughs> the barn needs paint and you paint the barn. He's a farmer from Indiana. I thought that was pretty good theology. Wouldn't really work well with my marriage, but it was good theology. All right. So there's nothing wrong with the body. You want to be healthy. You want to be strong, active, the body, but you can't have the body drive you because if the body drives you at some point, the body's not going to fulfill you. The body's not going to last, right? Well, what happens if the soul drives you? We all see people who are soul-driven. It's their emotions. They they drive themselves by their heart. Now, here's the problem with the soul. The soul's not a very good driver. The soul is just, it wrecks all the time. The soul crashes. The soul runs into ditches. The soul will drive you right off of a cliff. And if the soul drives you, you will make some incredibly bad business decisions. If the soul drives you, you will make some incredibly bad financial decisions. If the soul drives you, you will make some incredibly poor hiring decisions, job decisions. If the soul drives you, you will make some enormous poor relationship decisions. If the soul is driving you, you will eventually crash and burn. And we've all seen this. We we understand this. We may not always see it in ourselves, but we see it in everybody else. We know people who are soul-driven. Their souls drive them. Their emotions are out of control, out of whack, and that's how they they respond. And so when your soul drives you, you got anger issues. When your soul drives you, you don't sleep well. You see, all these things then affect the body. 
Now, I'm not saying that your body never has challenges and issues, but when your soul is driving you, you will drink too much. When your soul is driving you, you will over-medicate. When your soul is driving you, you will go through periods of time where you won't even sleep well because the soul is driving everything, and that affects the body. And now the body's in red. The needle's pegged in the red when the soul is out of control. And, and so the soul was never designed to drive you. The Apostle Paul's got the right order here. The engine and transmission of your life is designed to be your spirit, your human spirit. This is why people who aren't even believers, who have strong human spirits, can do fairly decent on this earth. Strong human spirits are even within people who who are not Christians, but they're strong and they make really good choices. And then you see believers who have that secret weapon of the Holy Spirit who just live from their souls. And if your soul is driving you, let's just kind of take the keys away from the soul and let's try to get the, the keys back in the hands of your human spirit. Because your human spirit knows where you're supposed to go. Your human spirit really will help you. It's your conscience. And that's why even in the book of Romans, the first couple of chapters, it talks about people who aren't even believers have a, have a conscience and have an awareness of God and have an awareness of what's right and even what's wrong. But now, let's add the sauce. Let's add that which sets us apart. Let's add that which is now our, our advantage. And it's called the Holy Spirit of God. And Paul just can't wait to get to this in Romans chapter 8. And in that chapter, he says, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. The first spirit is the Holy Spirit. The second spirit is your human spirit. He doesn't say that the Holy Spirit comes into your soul because the soul's fickle. The soul, you can't really trust the emotions of the soul. But you can always trust the direction of of your spirit when the Holy Spirit is involved. And so he says this. He says, the Holy Spirit... He testifies. Now, I don't know what that exactly helps you or not, but I think the New Living Translation says it better. It says, for the Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. I love that. God's Holy Spirit wants to come and affirm with you, join you, join your human spirit and say, speed up, slow down, buy, sell, don't do this, text her, get rid of her, get rid of him, dump him, marry him. The Holy Spirit wants to join with your human spirit and tell you exactly what's best for your life. He joins you. Danita's retired now from teaching piano, but she taught piano for years, and she, she volunteers now at the Youth Sheriff's Ranch and probably has a whole lot more fun as a volunteer piano teacher. But every year she would do a recital, and every year there would be a kid get through the first third of his or her piece that, that was fully memorized at home and fully memorized, you know, and the kid was practicing, but the kid freezes, and so the kid's on stage, you know, and the kid's going through the third, first third of the, of the score of music and, and hits a wrong note and then hits two or three wrong notes. And you can see now there's this, you know, this stricken look of horror on this kid's face. And, and the kid's about to bolt, bust out crying, and at just the right time, 
Danita will come out there next to this child, and she'll start hitting the right notes, and she'll start joining that child, and she'll start playing that piano right alongside with that kid. And all of a sudden, now that kid's back on the right notes, back on the right pieces, and that kid now has confidence and finishes the piece. I think that's a great analogy of the Holy Spirit. I don't always know exactly what I'm supposed to do. Sometimes I trip, sometimes I stumble, and the Spirit says, I'm going to join your human spirit. You're not smart enough, Kurt, to figure this out. You already knew that. I'm going to come and join you. I watched Ethan do this when he was in high school teaching at a Christian school, and I watched him with younger kids to teach with the guitar. And, and, and they would be going way too slow in this piece of music. I mean, it's dragging. I don't have a musical degree, but if I could tell it was slow, it was really slow, okay? And Ethan would come out with that guitar, and he'd like, he'd just speed it up. He'd just go, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Just come and go. We've all heard or seen or thought about driver's ed. Driver's ed instructor comes alongside of you. How many of you taught your kids how to drive? Haven't you, at one point or another, at least reached over and touched the steering wheel when they're driving? And how many of you have put your foot through the floorboard on that right-hand side? Yeah, yeah. I've put my foot clear through many of those. Slow down. Stop. Stop. We're going to die. We've all done that. The Holy Spirit comes and joins your human spirit. All right, let's dig into some truths now. This is kind of a, again, if you're new to church, now we're going to dig a little deeper into kind of a Bible study. So here's some truths. Let's examine these truths. What Paul says to us in Romans chapter 8, verse 1 is, there's no condemnation. So he says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right out of the get-go, he wants the people to know that if you're in Christ, everything you've done, your past is now forgiven. That's great news. That's jump a pew, slap your mama. That's amazing. That's amazing that we actually can be completely forgiven for our past. And the potency of Christ's blood was so strong, not only is there no condemnation for the past, there's no condemnation for the future, and there's no condemnation for the present. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Here's another truth. He wants you to know that you can tap into this continuous flow of power. Now, it's not saying that you will, but it's available to you. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that when Jesus was baptized, the heavens were torn open. The heavens were ripped open. And now there's this open heaven. Now heaven has come down, even Jesus' prayer, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And heaven has an agenda for your life. Heaven has a plan for your life. And now we've got this open heaven ever since Jesus was baptized. And it says the Spirit came down and rested on him like a dove. And then in the Gospel of John, it further clarifies and it says, and it remained on him. It remained on him. So here's the deal. This is my boat towel. My boat's yellow. I got a yellow towel. It's clean. I wash and wax my boat with this. The Spirit of God as a believer, it comes inside of you, but it doesn't necessarily remain on you. That's really up to you. Now, you don't have a choice about the Spirit of God inside of you, but you do have a choice whether or not the Spirit of God will remain on you. I want you to get this. Every Christian 
has the Spirit of God living now inside of him or inside of her. That's just too good to be true. It's absolutely amazing. But whether the Spirit remains on you, and so again, I said a couple weeks ago, if a dove came and landed on your shoulder, kind of skittish birds, and you were cognizant that you had a bird on your shoulder, how would you walk? How would you carry yourself? How would you drive on US-19? Now, let's not use that. Let's not, that's a bad illustration. <laughs> how, how, would you, how would you go up and down steps? How would you carry yourself? And so what he's saying to us is, as New Testament believers, he's trying to help the people in Rome who, who really can't understand this. It's like, you've got a continuous flow of God's Spirit in your life. Will you tap into that? Will you tap into that? I don't know. I don't know if you will or not. I can't help you with that. That's something you've got to be able to do for yourself. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And so you can be set free from sin. I hear believers say this all the time. I just sin. I just sin. I just sin. I can't help it. I just sin. I want to say this very clear. It is not normal for a believer to sin. I didn't say you didn't have the capacity. But it's not normal. You were never designed now to sin after you become a believer. I didn't say it wasn't possible. I didn't say you didn't have the capacity. I I said it's not normal. And so believers are telling me, I just sin, I just sin. The Bible tells me it doesn't have to be my my normal. Now, who am I going to believe? Am I going to believe you? Or am I going to believe what the Scriptures say? Because the Scriptures say you and I can have this continuous flow of life-giving spirit. You don't have to sin. And we talk about that all the time. It's like, you know, I just sin, I just sin, you know, what a worm am I? Well, why are you sinning? If you have this continuous flow of power, you took the dove off your shoulder. You chose to take the dove off. You chose to put the dove down. You chose to flick the dove off and let the dove fly away. But you have a continuous flow of power in your life. There's always two powers. For what the law was powerless to do, that it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh. Now, the Jewish people would really get this because they were always offering sacrifices that never really forgave their sins. It appeased their sins. Best illustration is that it gave them a clean sheet of paper for the day, but it never really took the, the book. The book wasn't clean. All the sins were still recorded. That's not what Jesus did. When Jesus saved you, you got really good and saved. What the law was powerless to do, Jesus said, I'll come and do it myself. I'll give my life in the flesh as a sacrifice for all your sins. And there's two natures, and we know this one sinful, one is spiritual. But as believers, we, we, we make a choice. I, I'm going to wear the dove. I'm going to keep the dove. The dove's going to remain on me. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but who live according to the Spirit. We can live according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. So, 
what are you going to set your mind on every morning, every noon, every night? What, what will you have your mind set on? It, it's your choice. You do have an option with this. And you choose death or you choose life and peace. So when I have sinned, though it's not normal and I don't have to, when I have sinned, I've never felt life and peace. Have you? I've never felt life and peace. Because the Holy Spirit inside of me is going toxic, 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 poison, poison, poison. And I, when I sin, I really poison myself. I hurt and I harm myself when I do this. So one is really death hurting me, and the other one is really life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life, and it is peace. And so here's our opportunity. Our opportunity is for you to have your human spirit. Now, here's the wind-up. If you've been asleep, poke your neighbor. Everybody wake up, all right? This is the perk right here. This is the point. Your human spirit wants to be under the total influence of the Holy Spirit so that he will drive your race. This is your opportunity. The human spirit under the total influence of the Holy Spirit who's driving your race. I want you to memorize that. I'm going to quiz you in the lobby. <laughs> or take a picture of it, or it's on your phone. This is why it makes perfect sense when there's a national catastrophe that unbelievers get rattled. It makes perfect sense when there's a hurricane warning or you live in, in, in Indiana and you're on a fault line and there's going to be an earthquake or you live in Tennessee and you got tornadoes coming through. It makes perfect sense every time there is some kind of a military coup somewhere that the markets get rattled and everybody gets all. It makes perfect sense. It makes absolutely no sense for a believer to get rattled about anything. Because that's your soul speaking. A couple of years, I won't tell you when, uh, it was a while back. I've been here now 15 years. So there have been several different presidential elections. And uh, we've had Republicans in office. We've had Democrats in office. And this is not a political speech. I want to get above that. I don't think in the church, you know, those little icons of the donkey and, and the, and, and the uh, elephant, right? One party's elephant, one party's donkey. I don't think we should be talking about the elephant or the donkey. I think we should be talking about the lamb. Let's talk about the lamb of God. If you didn't get that, ask your neighbor. It'll, you'll eventually get it. It's the lamb. Let's talk about the lamb. So I'm in Starbucks up here, and, and um, I know that'll surprise you. And I was in line. And it was a long line, really, that day. It was almost to the door at the Enterprise one. And there was a lady there, strong believer, doesn't go to our church, but I know her from the community. And it was the night after a, a major election. And she's got sunglasses on, no makeup. I mean, she's been crying all night. She looked really, she hadn't painted the barn. I, I guess that's what I want to say. <laughs> the, the, the barn wasn't painted that day, all right? I'm going to get in trouble for this. I, I can smell it coming. All right. Anyway, uh, she was there and just looked 
rattled. And I called her my name and I said, are you okay? We lost the election. She's just shaking and so upset. We lost the election. I said, oh, okay. I said, so your, your candidate um, didn't win last night. We lost the election. And just, strong believer, rattled. Now, I've always had more courage than brains. <laughs> and that's always been a real prayer request for Donata. <laughs> so I said to her, do you think God's still on his throne? Do you think he fell off last week? Did he fall <laughs> off the throne? She jerked those glasses up and about snapped her neck looking at me, you know. And I said, no, really. I said, I, I, I didn't say everything was good going on, but I said, do you think that by the power of his word, he still holds the universe in place? His, his spoken, do you think his, his speech is still keeping everything... Is he still on the throne? And it, it, it doesn't make sense because we have the Holy Spirit inside of us with all of our challenges and all of our opportunities. And so our spirits are encapsulated by his Holy Spirit. And we go forward and we trust and we obey. I got a phone call from my youngest daughter a couple years ago. She was a student at Palm Beach Atlantic, and she said, Hey, Dad, my roommate needs a summer internship. She's a business major. She needs a business internship. What do you think about calling, you know, four or five of your buddies from church and asking them if they would let her have a summer internship? I said, Emily, great idea, great idea. And so I hung up the phone, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit kind of goes, Why don't you go ask Dean McSpadden, our CFO at church. And I'm like having this argument like with the Holy Spirit going, well, we don't do business internships. And you should never argue with the Holy Spirit. You should just be quiet and listen. And so I, I remember like my stomach's kind of churning through this. And so I, I prayed, waited a couple days, going to Dean's office. I said, Dean, have you ever thought about maybe us having a business internship? You're really good at this. Joy Weaver's really good at this. Here's the situation. We've got this young lady and Dean's going, we don't do business internships. We do internships for children's ministry, youth ministry, internships for production team and all that, discipleship. And so a couple of days later, he comes back and he says, I think it's a great idea. I prayed about it. I think it's a great idea. So we have this young lady that comes. She's 22, 23 years old. And we were just starting the research on the wedding chapel. We were just beginning to try to figure out what the chapel would look like. And so that whole summer, man, she was, you know, doing research, planning on, you know, the flooring, the ceiling, the bride's room, what it would look like, dimensions, really helped us with this. And she graduates then the, the next uh, summer. And Dean comes to me and he said, um, I think we should hire her. I said, Dean, we haven't even built a chapel yet. He said, he said she's, she's our wedding coordinator. She's got good business skills, good people skills. I think we should get ahead of this and hire her before this all kind of comes into play. And, and so we did. And so we hire her, and then her wedding's coming up. And she's working hard to get this chapel finished. She's got her little pink hat on. She's got her whip out there on the construction people. And, you know, she's out there taking pictures, taking them food, taking them water. She's doing everything she can to get the chapel done for her wedding. 
it became apparent that the chapel was going to be about six months late. And we were not going to make her wedding date. And she was like, okay, okay. So she has her wedding then at another venue, outdoor wedding. I got to perform the ceremony. And before the service is over outdoors, I'm a fisherman. I see the clouds. I feel the cool temperature. They're, they're, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have, a day. all hell's going to break loose any second. And I'm, I'm, I'm not even sure I'm going to get the ceremony done. I see lightning in the back. The wedding director there is going, wrap this thing up. Let's go, preacher. You know, we got to go inside. I whisper to her, I, I got to cut this short. I'm so sorry. What do you want me to do? Just get her done. So, I, you know, I finish that. I do kiss Mr. and Mrs. We go inside, rains cats and dogs. She was so happy. She was so content. She'd worked two years on finishing a chapel that she never got to use. Her wedding Ceremony got cut short by 10 minutes, a gypter, 10 minutes, so we could get it in. She has a strong human spirit, and she has the Holy Spirit. And because she has the Holy Spirit strengthening her spirit, she went through all of that, her dreams. On her fifth wedding anniversary, I think we need to throw her the biggest party. Don't you think so? We'd have a party for Crystal. We do. We were 10 years ago into the recession. Um, this lady's husband died. And I went to Countryside High School with her to tell her son. I went with her to St. Pete College to tell her daughter. And it was traumatic, it was brutal. And a few years ago, she starts dating a guy and and they've been coming to our church. They come third service, their 1130 service every Sunday. And we baptized both of them at the last beach baptism. But, but about four or five months ago, she came to me and she, and she showed Danita and I her engagement ring. And she said, um, want to go to Barbados? I said, where is it? Sure, yeah, where, where is it? I had to look it up on a map. It's way out there. You ever looked, you ever been there? Anybody been to Barbados? It's a fly, it's a drive, isn't it? It's a, it's a drive. Yeah, it's a, good, it's a good drive. You'd never make it. And, and so um, we go there and, and we do this wedding. It was just so incredible. And we're in this Catholic church and I'm doing the ceremony with the, with the Catholic priest. And he was cool. This guy, Catholic priest was cool. And all I'm going to do in the ceremony is read a prayer, uh, and um, I'm going to have a prayer and read some scripture. It's easy. This is a cakewalk for me. So we get into the ceremony, and the Catholic priest loses his place. He's got this big book. You know, I don't have anything in front of me. He's got this big book, and he turns to me, and he said, "Um, I can't find the ring ceremony. Can you do it? Yeah, yeah, Padre, I got this. I, I got this. He, he turns to me and he said, I can't remember their names. He said, can you do the pronouncement? Father, I got this. I got this, bro. I got this. And all of a sudden, I mean, the curveballs and the audibles, and I'm sweating, you know, in this Catholic church, and I'm trying to honor him. He's very kind and trying to honor me, and he just got lost. I'm thinking, how many of these have you done? 
come on, bro. We've done hundreds of these. We can pull this off. And, and so anyway, we get through the ceremony and we go to the reception that night. And at the reception, beautiful reception, we're talking and there's a woman there and um, her husband's an anesthesiologist. He couldn't get off work and he's working, you know, 75 hours a week probably. And she's there with her girlfriend and friends. And she was a lifelong friend of the woman that got married. And so the friend then was there with Denise and I, and she said, um, I saw you in the store yesterday. There's this little store on this great big resort compound. And I think I was getting Denise and I some iced tea. And she said, I saw you in the store and I wanted to ask you something. I said, what do you want to ask? I, I wanted to ask if you'd baptize me sometime. I said, well, yeah, tell, tell us your story. She said, well, I've been an atheist all my life. Been an atheist till a year and a half ago. And she said, I had a friend who put a Bible on my porch. And she said, I thought, what in the, you know what, is this Bible doing on my porch? And she said, I then had a little bit of an illness. And she said, so I began to, to read the Bible. She said, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe the Bible. I couldn't believe how things started to make sense. I couldn't believe how things began to tie in to each other. And she said, this is at the reception now, Saturday night. Would you, would you come to Indiana? She's in southern Indiana. Would you come to Indiana and baptize me? I'm thinking, wow, I don't know, man. How do I tell her no? How do I tell her yes? I mean, that's a tall order. And so I'm not quite sure what to do. And so I said, well, do you ever come to Florida? I, you know, do you ever come to Florida to visit Cheryl? And, and we'll do the beach thing, the beach baptism. And she said, no, we, we, we have a cabin in Michigan. We always go to Michigan. You know, I said, okay. Thank goodness the Holy Spirit's speaking to Danita. And the Holy Spirit does speak to Danita. And sometimes I get Danita and the Holy Spirit confused. But this time... <laughs> That's two, isn't it? That's two. <laughs> Sorry. Be patient with me. Patient with me. I just took the dove off, Lord. Sorry. I, I'll get it back on. Give me the anointing. And um, so Danita said, well, are you going to be here tomorrow? And she said, I am. And she said, well, why don't we baptize you tomorrow on the beach in Barbados? And so the couple that got married got wind of it. They text the whole wedding party and all their friends who were there. And, and, and we're out on this Crane Beach is the name of this resort. We're out on Crane Beach. And, and we baptize Kim in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it was so cool. It was so cool. Here we are in Barbados. And we're having this amazing beach baptism. And all these people are watching us on the beach thinking, who are all these people? What are they doing? I just, I just love how God works. And the whole point this morning is as a believer, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you that's for you. It's for you. But if the Holy Spirit will remain on you, it is for everybody else. The Holy Spirit remaining on you is for all of your culture, all of your context, all of your family, all of your friends, all of your neighborhood, all your businesses. If we can just keep the Holy Spirit remaining on us, we will change the world. Heaven was torn open. Heaven wants to come down to this earth, and heaven through the Holy Spirit is working through you and working through me. Now, 
You've got the Spirit if you're a Christian. But what, what will you do with the dove? Will you carry the dove? Will you walk with the dove? Will the dove remain on you? And if you will choose that and live in that power and under the auspices of the Holy Spirit, you will change everything and everybody and impact every environment and every culture that you go into. And you won't live in fear. You won't live in that anxiety. You will live free. So I'm going to ask you right now if you'll stand up and we're going to sing this song, No Longer Slaves to Fear. And and I want to ask you to get the dove on your shoulder. I want to ask you to put the dove on you. I want to ask you to put the Holy Spirit on you and over you and through you and among you. And let's sing with power and with passion and persuasion today.